This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, one of America's foremost manufacturers of premium knives. Case Knives have been treasured items that have been passed down to my family for generations. So put down the phone, shut off the TV, and go out and get your hands dirty and build something. Keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Hey, you're listening to Shaun of the South. And here behind me right now is Truck Stop Honeymoon, Katie and Mike West from Truck Stop Honeymoon, everybody. Well, things are bad now, but let me tell you, they were never any better. That's what my neighbor Doreen used to tell me every time I met her. Standing outside the front door, waiting for a kid to go by that she could ask for. A pack of cigarettes and a loaf of white bread from the store. Give them three quid if the kid would get what she'd ask for She'd say things are bad now But let me tell you they were never any better That's how she'd start She'd go on if I let her She'd say hard men were just as hard back then They didn't have guns But you wouldn't cross one of them And if you did You'd regret it Say things are bad now, but back then they weren't any better. Now we're crying, despairing of our kind. People unpredictable and cruel. And we're scared to even send our kids to school. And I'm the optimist, and I bad now but let me tell you they were never any better driving past the street where Dorian's old house is She's long since died and the street's been gentrified But when you saw in the paper about Paris and it upset you I remembered what Dorian used to tell me and it made me feel better Now we're crying Delivered by mail, sent in from all sorts of folks just like yourself who are kind enough 
take the time to listen to this little thing we do here each week. Kristen Moody, Baker, Florida. Dear Sean, thank you for being you. I'm an over-the-road truck driver. It's not a bad gig. I get paid to be homeless. Sometimes, though, the isolation threatens to consume me with a blanket of loneliness. I stumbled across your writings, and then I found your show. And your stories remind me of growing up in Baker, Florida, and they make me feel right at home, no matter where I am in this country. So thank you for keeping me company out here on the road. Thank you for being my friend. Dear Kristen, good luck taking whatever shipment you are delivering right now where you hear my voice come through your radio speaker. Good luck taking that shipment from point A to point B. Signed, your forever friend, Sean Dietrich. Philip Northerly, Houston, Texas. Sean, my dad was in traffic last week and he was sipping coffee like a fool. Houston has some really bad traffic and we aren't really known exactly for our good driving. We're kind of aggressive and some people here are just flat out hateful. Anyhow, my dad realized he had to pee somewhere in this traffic mess, but the cars would not let him over. He held it for as long as he could, he really did. But as you can imagine, the worst happened. That's right, my dad wet himself and he wet all over his seat. He was only 10 minutes from his office when it happened. When he got to his office, he stepped out of his car and he was looking at the front of his pants. And that's when he realized his brand new clients were in the parking lot already waiting on him. They were coming over to shake his hand and say hello. And that's when they noticed that he'd, well, you know. Anyway, you said to send you funny stories, and that was the best one my family has to offer. My God, thank you, Philip Northerly, for that story, and I must say, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. <laughs> Anita Hatcher, Powder Me, Portsmouth, Virginia. Sean, I was raised in Jackson County, Florida, and I'm writing this while looking out at Times Square, New York City, from the 19th floor of a hotel. I'm here chaperoning a group of kids who are singing at Carnegie Hall tonight. I'm blessed to have my 12-year-old daughter in this group, but I'm more blessed to understand deep in my heart southern heat, humidity, and things like church dinners on the grounds, potato salad, banana pudding, Bill Gaither songs, and helping fellow travelers out on life's journey. And just so you know, that here in the city that never sleeps, it's mighty quiet early on Sunday morning. Who to thunk? I hope I can find some potato salad here today. Respectfully yours, Anita. Dear Anita, congratulations to your daughter on making it to Carnegie Hall. I hope she knocks them dead, and I know I speak for everybody here tonight. Reverend Bob Childs, Columbia, South Carolina. Dear Sean, church for centuries has acknowledged the truth of signs above and I just thought I'd tell you what we call them. We call them a consolation. A sign from above is something that heaven sends and we all recognize as part of the clergy. There was a fellow at the church I served at years ago who'd been a Vietnam veteran. He'd been exposed to Agent Orange so that his lungs were badly damaged and he was tethered to oxygen. 
He and his wife lived in a modest home, and they had all sorts of dragonflies all around the house. Dragonfly pictures, dragonfly statues, dragonfly cross stitches and stained glass catchers and so on and so forth. Anyway, he died, and we had his funeral. Went to the churchyard and had the committal. Said all the prayers and, and did all the funeral things. And right as we said the final amen, a dragonfly flew up and lighted on his casket. A consolation. A consolation. Chad Grenmore, Iola, Kansas. Hi, Sean. My mother has Alzheimer's. And it is, it is the nursing home where she is in Missouri where I first heard you. And I just wanted to say thank you for your stories they're a lot of fun to listen to with my mother. And I just also want to say that if anybody has parents out there who still have their right mind and aren't affected by this terrible disease, savor the time you have left for them. Enjoy every minute of it. That's all. I just miss my mother sometimes and felt like telling you about it. Dear Chad, thank you for telling me about that. Mary Dockington, Seattle, Washington. I took my son fishing on a camping trip a few weeks ago and he caught a tiny little trout and I got myself real excited about it because he's a child and this was one of his first catches. It was a fish though that was very small and I wouldn't have normally thrown such a fuss about it but when I saw how excited he was getting about it I decided to go ahead and keep it anyway even though it was small and fried up for him. I fried it in a skillet for dinner and I ended up being the only one who ate that tiny thing. The problem was, it was such a small little fish, the pin bones inside it that are impossible to remove got lodged in my throat, and I could feel it when it happened. They were inside my esophagus, poking me and causing me great discomfort. And well, to make a long story short, we ended up in the emergency room. <laughs> the doctor had to dislodge bones from my throat, and I don't even want to describe the procedure on how that went. My son found me lying in the bed and said, I really wanted to throw that fish back the whole time. <laughs> but you were just so excited about it, I just figured I had to keep him to make you happy. <laughs> Dear son, thanks for telling me. Millie Ann Darnmouth, Burlington, Iowa. My cousin is in Ireland this month. She listens to your show, and she's the one who tuned me into it. Just wanted to thank her for helping me. She's helped me find myself. I'm being serious. She's been a real inspiration to me and in learning how to just live my life and not worry about what other people think about me, which is not as easy as it seems. She's become my best friend over these past few years after my husband left me. I wish I could have gone to Ireland with her, but work calls. Maybe next time, love to Carol from Millie Ann. Enjoy your trip to Ireland. Billy Drake, Cedar Rapids, Michigan. John, I just wanted to tell you, through you, uh, let me start that over. John, I just wanted to tell my son congratulations on all he's done with his education. He's a smart kid, and he is so much older than his years. Sometimes I look at him, and I feel so much pride, I can't even hold it in without crying. But men aren't supposed to cry, at least men of my generation, that is. So, I'm writing Sean Dietrich. Sean, if you read this on the air, please make sure he hears that his name is Aiken. Dear Aiken, this is Sean Dietrich, and I hope you know how proud your daddy is of you. And I also hope you tell him that it's okay 
for a grown man to cry. Be a proud son, Mr. Aiken. Be a proud son for all you've accomplished, and be a proud son for having such a proud father. Love from your friend, Sean Dietrich. And that's letters from our listeners. We're going to have another tune from Truck Stop Honey, everybody. Truck Stop Honey. The governor of Kansas goes to three churches every Sunday He got a lot of work to do on his show While you and I just sit on our top porch step Looking at our yard, watching weeds take over it all Yeah, the governor of Kansas ain't got two nickels to rub together He gonna have to close our school But babe, I just got paid and I got paid cash So let's take it downtown, spend it like happy fools In love, love Happy fools in love Well, the governor of Kansas, nobody likes it Them that do, he can have Well, I wouldn't win no popularity contest, neither, babe But if you're okay with me, I'm good with that See, the governor of Kansas thinks we're carrying a disease That's infecting and crippling his state Yeah, we're carrying a bacteria that the governor of Kansas Cannot inoculate against with hate It's called love Love Yeah, it's called love Yeah, the governor of Kansas He live in a world of anger He's angry most every day Well, I lose my temper sometimes And you get pretty crazy too But you know deep down We're okay Yeah, the governor of Kansas He holds all the cards There ain't no money in the pot So let him cheat, let him win Let him think he took it all We'll still have everything Everything we got Cause we got love Love Yeah, we got love 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 got love Yeah, the governor of Kansas thinks we're carrying a disease that's infecting and crippling his state Yeah, we're carrying a bacteria that the governor of Kansas cannot inoculate against with hate Well, the early morning sun in Kansas is something to see, something to see. Those sunsets that you see out there are more powerful than the sunsets you would see, I imagine, in Hawaii or, or, or Malibu. Of course, I've never been to 
either of those places, so all I can do is guess. But I do live in northwest Florida, and we have the Gulf of Mexico in our backyard with long white beaches, and I can look standing on the beach into a sunset that looks like something from a storybook fable. I've seen beautiful sunsets on the Gulf of Mexico, but I have to say the sunsets around Kansas are infinitely more beautiful. I was watching one sunrise not very long ago. I was driving I was driving a little two-lane highway through the tiny Kansas small towns. and I, I pulled over on a little bridge that it was over a, a small creek and I was planning on fishing that day fishing a creek that my father used to fish long long ago my father was a Kansan thrown through he was a, a Kansas native a Kansas boy he was the third generation Kansan I was supposed to be a Kansan but it just didn't happen I found myself relocated after he passed I was a boy in the great American South. And so while I was in Kansas, the first thing I noticed was that people in this state, they think a lot differently than the folks down south. They think differently because they're Midwesterners. Midwesterners, they have forgotten their manners. They're reserved people. They're, they're quiet people. They don't like to, to, be, to be superfluous. That's a big word I had to look up before I got here tonight. They don't like to be effusive with their affections in daily conversation. These kinds of effusions that I'm referring to are the sugar in the great American South. We use plenty of sugar in our conversations. When you see someone in the grocery store you hadn't seen in a while who you used to sit in Sunday school class with, it's proper to hug their neck. And if they're, if they're an older woman, you hug them chest to chest. If they're a younger woman and you are a male, you hug them sideways because it would be inappropriate to hug them uh, to hug them directly. So you hug them sideways. It's what we call a Baptist hug. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. And you pat them on their shoulder. Just a very, very light little pat. And, and this is how we do things. We're very, very sugary. And you say, oh, how's your mom and them doing? And, and oh, how's your brother ever since he had his, his little accident? You know, I've been praying for him. We pray for him every night. You say these things in the South, especially if you're in a Piggly Wiggly or somewhere where, where there's lots of socialization taking place. But in the Midwest, in the Great Plains of Kansas, people don't do this. They're very reserved. If they see you in the grocery store, you cannot expect to get a sideways Baptist hug. This just isn't how they do things. And so you can go through Kansas, even though it has beautiful sunsets, feeling a little bit strange, like an outsider. And that's exactly how I felt. I was a stranger in my father's land, but I do have very distant memories, very distant memories. I have memories of the farm where I was set to begin my life. On that farm, my father, my father had a radio which sat on a shelf with a tweed speaker, a Philco radio. A Philco radio, he would listen to things like Hank Williams. He would listen to, to the Grand Old Opry. Oh, boy. Many a Saturday night in my childhood had been passed listening to the Grand Old Opry, and there's nothing I wanted to do in my life more 
than to be a voice coming through a tweed speaker. I could think of nothing higher in my ambition. And men like me, men like me don't have a whole lot of ambition. <laughs> men like me come from the Dietrichs, and the Dietrichs, they have a touch of that lazy gene in them. We believe that laziness is a virtue. We believe in leisure activities. We believe in holding a cane pole in our hands, a fishing rod, and dangling it over small, shallow creek bridges and trying to catch something, anything. It doesn't even matter if it's a frog. We're just there. We're just there to be leisurely. And I can remember sitting in my father's leather chair, a wooden and leather chair in his shed, and listening to that Philco radio on a Saturday night, pump out the grand old opera, and I can remember the voice of Minnie Pearl going, howdy, and she'd say, I'm just so proud to be here, just so proud to be here. I loved that phrase. My father loved it even more than I did. He could use that phrase at least 10 times a day. I'm just so proud to be here, he'd say, at baseball practice or at, at Sunday service when he was shaking hands with the ushers, ushers who still wore the same leisure suits every single week of their life and greased their hair with brill cream. He'd say that, that little collection of words, I'm just so proud to be here at Boy Scouts. He'd say it anywhere you saw him. I'm just so proud to be here. As time goes on, my memories of my father, they seem to get dimmer and dimmer until sometimes I can't even remember what his face looks like. But I can remember certain things about him. He liked Minnie Pearl. He even said this little phrase when he shook Minnie Pearl's hand. Nashville, Tennessee wasn't far away from where he took a job working. He, he helped build the GM plant as a steel worker. He helped build that gym plant, living there for a long time. And he took me to see the Grand Ole Opry, and I'll never forget it. It changed my life. I saw men in cowboy hats. I saw playing guitars. I saw people on stage singing their guts out. And Minnie Pearl came running down that aisle. She was an old woman, an old woman with that little hat on, the price tag hanging off. And she said, I'm just so proud to be here. Howdy! And my father just about came unglued. And afterward, when he met her, he shook her hand and he pumped it just like, just like he was meeting the biggest celebrity God ever created. And he said, I'm just so proud to be here. I bet Minnie Pearl had heard that said to her back about a million times in her life. But she was good. She even gave him a sideways Baptist hug. <laughs> yes, sir. Never forget it. On those two-lane highways in Kansas, while you're driving, it's very important to keep an eye out for places to stop and eat because there aren't always so many. There used to be a lot more, at least in my memory, there used to be a lot more. I can remember little eateries all along the sides of the road, but nowadays the Walmart era has suffocated, has, has drowned out the little man. Little gas stations have all have all collapsed and little eateries along the sides of the road have all found their way into oblivion but some are still left and if you are brave enough to walk into these places you will find mostly locals mostly locals sitting on bar stools and in torn vinyl chairs around little tables with napkin dispensers on the tables and half full ketchup bottles and little old pieces of 
China to eat off of that have been around since the Eisenhower administration. I found one such eatery. I walked in through a dusty parking lot that was crowded with one John Deere tractor, 18 dusty trucks, and one little Nissan. I parked my truck next to a truck which was at least 18 times bigger than my truck, and it didn't feel a whole lot different than it does being in Alabama. I walked into this little place and I saw a jukebox in the corner. You don't see jukeboxes anymore. It warmed my heart. And it was playing George Jones overhead. I could hear him singing. He said, I love you till I die. If you told him he'll forget in time. As the years went slowly by. She still prayed upon his mind. He stopped loving her today. He placed a wreath upon his door. Soon they'll carry him away. He stopped loving her today. Oh, thank God places like this still exist, little joints off the side of the road. I saw old men sitting at the bar on these vinyl stools. They were lean men, wiry men with scrawny upper bodies. It doesn't matter how much manual labor men like my father did. They always had scrawny upper bodies. And these were men like my father. These men at the bar. One man wore a cowboy hat. Another man wore suspenders. They all wore plaid shirts tucked into wrangler jeans with belts tied firmly around their waists and belt buckles the size of, of serving platters and they, they were all leaning together huddled together over cups of coffee and breakfasts that were loaded with enough cholesterol to make your doctor break out into a nervous sweat old men with leathery skin and liver spots on their on their foreheads and the backs of their necks look like like old hide old hide that's been drying in the sun they followed their their gaze up my legs to my t-shirt which read roll tide and they, they, they shrugged at this because this is a foreign football team at least six states away. They, they've heard of Alabama before, but they don't think about Alabama. They gave me these looks like, like they couldn't trust me, Midwestern looks, looks that you would see in an old Western movie, perhaps a Western taking place in Dodge City where you see a stranger walk into a bar and they don't... They don't know how to react to this man because he don't look like they do. He don't talk like they do. He don't act like they do. And maybe he even uses a little too much sugar during social conversation. Maybe perhaps he even gives the waitresses sideways hugs <laughs> if he goes to church with them. He's a stranger. He's a stranger. And so they watched me walk toward my stool. I sat down. And I, I ordered the working man's special, it was called. It was three eggs over easy, three strips of bacon, three slices of sausage, three pieces of toast, and one glass of orange juice, and one cup of joe. They never heard of grits in this part, I guess. 
And so I had a gritless breakfast, but I still managed to, to meet my minimum daily requirement of cholesterol. And while I ate, one man who was wearing suspenders looked at me and he, he said, where are you from? This question has plagued me for a long time. You see, I'm kind of from everywhere. Of course, I started my life in Kansas as a boy. But we moved promptly before, before I'd gone through any rites of passage. And I grew up in northwest Florida, a region of northwest Florida that just touches Alabama. My friends were all from Alabama, or at least close to the line. I guess I don't know what I am sometimes. I guess a lot of people live their life in certain, certain places and, and they don't know who they are or what they are. To be honest, I hadn't been back to Kansas in, in, in decades and decades and decades to the point where I'd forgotten what it looks like. So this simple question, where are you from, it, it, it stops me a little bit. In Kansas, I'm from northwest Florida. But when I first came to Northwest Florida as a boy, I told people I was from Kansas until, until finally I was able to say that I was from Northwest Florida. You see, I'm a nowhere man or I'm an everywhere man, depending on how you look at it. I'm from Northwest Florida, I told him, just, just the last county before you hit Alabama. It's a misconception when you tell people you're from Florida, they look at you funny, and the first place they mention is Orlando or Miami. These are two godless places which are filled with, with people from Michigan and Minnesota. <laughs> Northwest Florida is a different world altogether. Originally, Northwest Florida was, was slated to be part of Alabama. We don't have nothing to do with Orlando or Miami. <laughs> the men said, Northwest Florida. Hmm. Is that near Orlando? <laughs> no, sir, it's not, I said. And so one man looked at me, the man with the cowboy hat, and he said, What do you do? This is an important question among men. Men have been asking other men what they did ever since Adam had a son. Even though they didn't do anything back in Adam's day, those were the original Lazy people, they just kind of sat around all naked. They didn't bother putting clothes. Men have an innate desire to ask what the other man does. This is a way of, of figuring out who you're talking to. Who you're talking to. Are you talking to a man with calluses on his hands? Or are you talking to a man who has back problems because he pushes a pencil all day long and sits on, on one of those little fancy uh, air cushion balls behind the desk? I said, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. Boy, this caused a stir among the old men. They all looked around at each other and they, they made faces. One man wearing a neon orange hunting cap said, what do you write about, son? I said, I write about this, that, and the other. I guess I write about people. Human interest. This caused a stir among the men. They, they got a better look at my face. One man wearing suspenders said, well, then maybe you'd like to write my Bigfoot story. The other men, the other men gave a little laugh, but the man with the suspenders on wasn't laughing at all. 
he was looking at me with a dead serious face. He said, I'm serious. I saw Bigfoot. Yes, sir, I saw Bigfoot. He leaned forward and he, he took a sip of his coffee. And he told me about a day when he was hunting in the woods just around Emporia, Kansas. And he was carrying his rifle and looking for, for something to shoot. And he heard a rustle in the bushes. He said, when it was far enough gone, I, I stood up on my legs and I ran home. I ran home as fast as I could until my legs hurt and my lungs burned. And I found my daddy. And he was, he was sitting on the porch. And I said, Daddy, I just seen something. He said, back in those days, we didn't have a name for it. Didn't call it Bigfoot. And my daddy said, son, you listen to me. He said, I don't want you telling a single soul what you just told me. He said, because I won't have... People in town thinking I raised an idiot. <laughs> the men at the bar laughed when he said that. And they looked at him almost like he was a little bit of a village idiot. <laughs> but the man was inflamed with passion and sincerity. He looked at them and, and said, you hush, you hush. I'm serious. He tells his story to anybody who comes through town or anybody who, who's ever picked up a pencil to write and he hopes that one day some man will write that story down. I told him I'd pass. I told him I'd pass. I don't, I don't write about Bigfoot much. No, I write about people. I write about people like the woman who was in that very restaurant. She was serving us all our working man's breakfast and she, she had these scars on her arm. I could see them. They, they were marbled scars that traveled down her forearms all the way up to her hands. And when I got a better look, I noticed that she, she had scars on her chest. And they, they crept upward along her neck. When she asked how her breakfast was, the sweet, sweetheart of a girl, I noticed these scars. And the men said, oh, she's got a story. Oh, yes, she's got a story. She lived in a trailer just outside town. She dropped out of high school when she had her kids. She was, she was wanting to get married to this boy, but he just left her. And so she found herself as a, as a 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old raising kids in this trailer and working really hard to do it. And one day she got home. And she found her mobile home was on fire. And she darted inside with disregard to her own personal life. And she saved her two children, but it burnt her bad. Burnt her real bad. Oh, she's exceptional, though. She's on her own two feet, and she works about three jobs here in town. She works at this restaurant. She works at another Mexican restaurant on the other side of town. She used to be a custodian at a church. And she even mows a few lawns. For local people, she push mows. She's a strong girl. She's out there, she's out there mowing their lawn and trimming their hedges, doing yard work, anything she can to turn a dime. One old man leaned forward, the one with the cowboy hat on. He said, "Yeah, she's earning money because she's going to school. She wants to make something of herself, and she's tired of of working three or four jobs just to make ends meet. She's she's going to school. She takes night classes. Yes, sir. She takes her kids to." To a woman in our church, that woman babysits her kids while she goes to night class. She don't get home till late at night. She's a real dedicated, driven woman. Yes, sir. 
dedicated, driven woman. I told these men, yeah, this, this sounds like something I write about here. I like to write about people who don't feel like the world sees them. For a long time as a fatherless child who didn't seem to know where he was from, I felt like nobody saw me. Our waitress came and she, she looked at me and she said, are these old men bothering you? She said, you know, they, they're a mess, these old men. I said, no, they, they ain't bothering me. And the truth is, they weren't bothering me. These are the men my father came from. They talk like he did. They kind of look like he did. They work like he did from cane to cane. They work from beautiful canes of sunrise to, a, to an extraordinary canes of sunset. And then they go to bed and they do it all over again. Occasionally, occasionally they'll go fishing on shallow creek bridges. Don't matter if they catch anything. I paid my tab, and these men, these men, while I reached into my wallet to pay, they were grinning at that waitress. They wanted to tell her perhaps I would even write about her, but, but they wouldn't because I told them not to. And she said, what are y'all grinning about? And they said, we ain't, we ain't grinning about nothing, honey. We're just telling this man how beautiful you are. And she said, I ain't beautiful. I ain't beautiful. And she blushed a little bit. And I got into my truck and I kept driving along those two-lane highways. I drove along and I thought about men who told stories about Bigfoot and wore suspenders. Men who sit at small country restaurants listening to George Jones wearing cowboy hats. And I pulled over at this shallow creek bridge. And I walked to the, to the railing and I looked over at the brown creek water. I fished there once when I was maybe six or seven. That creek water was just a memory of my childhood brain. But I saw it and I could hear it and it took me back. It took me back. I've grown up a lot. I've found myself a man finds himself despite his circumstances. You will find yourself one day. You just have to give it time. You won't find yourself where you think you're going to find yourself, though. You might find yourself somewhere else on the map. You might find yourself in a place, in a place where when you see folks in the grocery store, they'll give you sideways hugs, even though they're not part of your family. You find a new family. You find new cousins and new aunts and new uncles. And these people embrace you and they make you one of their own. That's what happened to me. And while I wandered along the great Kansas plains and the Flint Hills, I wondered exactly what I was and who I was. And where I come from and who I come from. And why, why I'm here. No matter how old a man gets, he wants to know why he's here. Tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. But I know something with absolute sincerity and absolute surety and certainty.
I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be here. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a bona fide pleasure, if I do say so myself. Hope you join us next week. That music you heard behind me today was Kansas's own Katie and Mike West telling stories and singing songs about the strangeness and beauty of everyday life. Their music combines elements of bluegrass, jazz, and even a touch of vaudeville to go with it. In the 11 years since the courthouse wedding, Truck Stop Honeymoon has released, get ready for this, eight CDs and one full-length documentary film on Baton Rouge label and Squirrel Records. These guys perform at international folk festivals, rock clubs, neighborhood bars, house concerts, and hay barns everywhere from Nebraska to Tasmania. Do yourself a favor and find out more about what they do at truckstophoneymoon.com. I'm higher there. Pick up a copy of their album. In fact, pick up eight copies of all eight albums. If you find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com. And that's our new website. We just got built to house all of our episodes in archive format for easy listening and easy navigation. There's a word I never thought would be applied to myself, easy listening. While you're there, I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. Tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitation, and some bar mitzvah announcements. And I'll do my best to mention them over the air. If I get a wild hair caught in an orifice in my body, I shall not mention over the air because that's what I like to do for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, I used to be afraid of the dark. I used to sleep with the lights on. And then one day, I got the light bill in the mail. And all of a sudden, I ain't afraid no more. Adios. Don't worry, baby. You can be sure I won't be crying on anybody's shoulder but yours. I won't be crying on anybody's shoulder but yours.